Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. At the end of the day, at the end of our life, what matters is meaningful relationships. What purpose in living would you find if you woke up tomorrow as the only person left on earth? Now, what then makes up healthy relationships? And if you think about it, it at least begins with communication. I mean, a car will go nowhere if it doesn't have wheels. I mean, the wheels of any relationship is communication. And like any skill, we aren't just naturally an expert. Communicating well is a learned skill. So would you like to increase the health and success of your relationships? There's no better way to do it quickly and effectively than learning how to communicate better in the ways that really matter. So in this show, I am with Renee Marino. Renee is a bona fide Broadway star, singing, acting, and dancing in West Side Story and Pretty Woman and Jersey Boys. Her lead role in the latter caught the eye of Clint Eastwood, who took her from the stage and cast her directly as the lead female role in his film, Jersey Boys. Renee's livelihood is communicating. She's got to connect with and move the audience, and she is a master. Well, following that film, Renee turned her attention to the professional and personal world and is showing us the heart and skill of real communication, the kind that does just what Renee does on stage and on film and in her personal life. She truly connects with others in a meaningful way that moves them to engage. So in the show, we start talking about her growing up in New Jersey in an Italian-American family where communication was their love language and taking her first steps on stage and even into her marriage to an introvert and how they honor each other's styles of communication. And as you'll quickly hear, I don't know that I've ever connected and resonated more with a guest on the show, which attests to Renee's skill of connecting through communication. I think you're going to enjoy this. Renee has culminated her methodology of communicating in her book, Becoming a Master Communicator, which you can get anywhere. And when you do, go to freegiftfromrenee.com for two gifts she has for you. If you find value from this show, from this episode, leave a review. Let us know. Let Renee know what you thought about the show best thing you can do is take some of what you heard here and keep the discussion going discuss it with someone you can always connect with me find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co next up is a lively to put it lightly conversation with renee marino on how we can all more effectively connect with others through our intentional communication Renee, I can honestly say you're the first guest on the show who I can cite being here because you ran into my parents. Uh, wow. What, what a better lead in. And for them to I get, get all these texts all of a sudden, look who we were with. You got to have her on the show. I mean, it's just there's no better endorsement than that. So, uh, so stoked to have you here. That means so much to me, Kevin. I fell in love with your parents when I met them. I got home from the trip and I told my husband all about them. And they said, you know, we need to connect you with our son. You guys would be great. Have a great conversation. And I said, absolutely. Yes. 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 Well, uh, and I got to I got to say, I'm, I'm looking at you here and, you know, you're in showbiz. Green rooms are where the famous people hang out. You look like you're inside of a plant. 
Yes. <laughs> I, I, I totally dig the backdrop. It's awesome. You like it? I do. We like to switch it up. I had, um, it was like just a silver backdrop before, yeah. um, but I like to keep it simple, but also still interesting enough where you're like, oh, that looks cool. And I love the greenery. So I know. Well, I feel like I'm in the green room with you. I feel famous. So this is cool. Perfect. <laughs> well, hey, as you know, I, and we've talked about it uh, a couple of times recently. I, I recently had Do- uh, Dr. Robert Waldinger on the show. So um, everybody will, will know because he was just on here, but he's director of the longest scientific study on happiness and showcased that what makes us the most happy is relationships. And then boom, then we have Nedra Glover Tawab on and her book Drama Free. And she's mainly focusing on, yeah, relationships is it. And that's really where we're mostly screwed up and where we have our problems. And then, and I didn't plan this. I just love the divine orchestration. Here we are with you with communication because at the end of the day, that is relationship. And I, I do want people to hear that, that we're going to talk about communication, but is it fair to say, I mean, communication, it's a means to an end and the end is to connect. Yes. Yes. Kevin, I was once asked in an interview, what does communication mean to you? And I said, it means connection. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. That's what we all crave. And I love that you had those two incredible guests on before me because you're right. I mean, the the timing of this is so perfect. Communication is what builds up or breaks those relationships. And especially in this day and age now of digital technology, we have so many different outlets to communicate that it can get really muddy sometimes, as you know. So this is why it's so, so vital that we prioritize our communication. Well, that's how you've made your living. Um, well, I could say I have too, but yours has been, it's, it's such a, an acute, not an acute, but just such a, an exaggerated aspect of it. I mean, you are paid to communicate. And I do want to tell a little bit of that story. I had a, a lot of my listeners recently, I actually asked a question and they said, we want more story, Kevin. You're always got, you get to the point. That's great, but more story. So you grew up. Uh, you gravitated towards performing and I am going to make a long story short. You end up on Broadway and if, folks, if, if you don't, I mean, it's Broadway. I mean, so I was a pro, I was a pro cyclist. I did not go to the tour de France. Okay. If you're in performing arts, Broadway is the tour de France of performing art. I mean, that's, it's the, the big time. And uh, I, I mean, just to bask in that, I mean, it, 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 but it's awesome. You were up. I was going to say not, not naked on stage, but I mean, that's just the fullness of you. I mean, you can't hide anything. It is not social media. Like we're going to talk about and get into. It's not digital. It is the fullness of you and you are there to commute. Well, no, you're there to connect with people in that sense. I mean, as a performing artist, that is what you're paid to do. You are paid to connect with people. If you can't do that, you don't get a shot. Is that fair? It is so fair. Yes, as as actors, as performers, we are there to connect with our audience through the stories that we're telling, whether that be through our acting skills, our dancing skills, or our vocal skills. And in the case of Broadway, it really is about being a triple threat. Nowadays, I think it's even like more than that because you have to play an instrument and sing and dance and act. So for me, it was such a gift to be able to communicate through these different mediums standing and and singing and dancing in front of thousands of people every night the show must go on like you said it's not social media where i could put a filter on or erase the the photo and take it again that's what it is what you see is what you get and it was my greatest dream since a little girl and i i worked 
so hard to to get to that point because I came from a family no one no one knew about Broadway. My father worked in a factory. My mother worked in a nursing home. I knew nobody in the business. So it really was through perseverance, which is one of my greatest and, and most significant values in my life, mm. that perseverance of pushing through and training and working hard. And you know all about training, Kevin. <laughs> I know you you get that. I do get that. The, the thing that gets me in this Renee, really, as I look at your material and your book is, you know, we're talking about communication. Again, we're talking about connecting, but communication is how we do that. It's how we do relationships. And to be fair, I, I want to drive this home because it's, you drove it home to me and I want people to hear that communicate. That is how we do relationships. If we can't communicate, we, we can't do relationships. And yet we have no teaching on that. We don't get that in school. We don't get how, you know, how to fr- win friends and influence people and just these basic skills. And what I feel is paramount here in this show is as we talk about and get into some of our growing lack of communication in the culture. The upside of that is it doesn't take a truckload of effort to really stand out. And so the opportunity is huge. So I feel like this is a great opportunity episode of, of, of focus that we're going to give you, you're going to hear some things from, from Renee that you can take, you can apply immediately. And that's what it is. It's opportunity. For sure. Communication creates opportunities. I want you to think about this. Think about every area, every aspect of your life, from relationships to work to your goals and dreams. Now, try to think about each of those aspects and which are not tied to communication. You can't because they all are. Everything in our lives starts with communication. And when we learn to master this skill, we become limitless. But as you said, and I, you stated it so beautifully, it's it's something that we don't often think about. When take Let's use relationships once again. It's sometimes not the first thing you think about. And my mission is to create a communication movement where people start to make this a priority in their lives because it's like breathing. We don't often think about how we're breathing until something's going wrong and we're having a panic attack. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I can't catch my breath. Well, in life, Oftentimes, we don't think about the way we're communicating or connecting with others until something does go wrong in a relationship or there is some tension between someone at work or one of our loved ones. So, yes, communication creates opportunities. To point out a primary issue, however, especially as we talk about you being on stage, it's not even recording. And, and I am going to get in a little bit to your on-screen life as well. But when you are on stage on Broadway, it is live. If there's a mistake, everybody sees it. There's no redo. There's not an instant replay or, or, or whatnot. And so it's vulnerable. And we would all sit here and go, gosh, that takes a lot of you know bravery or whatever. I'm going to say courage. It takes a lot of courage. Reading your book, though, that's what hit me for myself. And I'm going to, you know, as I often, as I always do, I think, be candid about some of the issues that I see for myself that I need to continue, that I am trying to grow in. And it takes courage to communicate, period. Uh, It takes courage to communicate well, to communicate vulnerably, to really connect takes courage. I have not been the most courageous person in this. Doing this right now with you, I am in my office or my, my studio alone. 
uh, we're talking, I'm totally comfortable. Now put me on stage, make it live. I'm not as comfortable. Um, even though I've put my 10,000 hours in on conversations, I'm comfortable with that, but I mean, it takes a lot of courage and I want to lay that out there because as we talk about this, I don't want to minimize that as people hear this and we talk through some of the nuances we're talking about, you may not be up on stage, but if it's just with one person and you're trying to really communicate and you're going to hear some of the ways that you're probably not doing it well, it does take some courage. Can we lay that on the table? 1000%. It takes courage and it also takes practice. Yeah. Training. I don't want, yeah, yeah, I don't want to forget that because no matter, no matter what it comes down to, again, our goals and dreams in life, our relationships, our work, everything takes practice. And when we remind ourselves of that, I think it takes the pressure off a bit, especially for those of you listening who would identify as introverts. And you may be listening to this conversation being like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. See, there you go, Kevin. Yeah. Maybe for you, you're like, oh, yeah, this is just something I cannot do. I assure you, I promise you, you can, but it will take practice. And anything that's worth something wonderful in our lives, it's going to take practice. And I just wanted to pause a minute because, Kevin, talk about courage. The fact that you're able to say this over your microphone, even though you're in your studio by yourself and you're allowing all the people all over the world who are listening to your interviews to know that this is something that you maybe struggle with. That takes so much courage. And I know for for myself on the other side of this interview, that makes me just so much more inspired by you because you're showing your vulnerable side. And what I have noticed, especially in this landscape we're living in, is that vulnerability is is one of the missing links to what I see on social media when people communicate because we convince ourselves, oh, if I tell Kevin that I sometimes get nervous on stage, well, then he'll think that I'm not as good as I want him to believe I am. But really, the parts of ourselves that we often want to hide the most mm-hmm. are the ones that connect us with others the most. And you just you just proved it. So thank you, Kevin. And and I want to say kudos to you because the first step to anything is what I call that communication with self, that awareness to even know, yeah, this is something I don't love so much. It's something I need to work on. Well, thank you. Um, and, I, you know, living in a glass box like we do, I'm so aware that what I'm saying here, you know, my wife can hear, my kids can hear, and uh, they know me. And so if I'm not honest, one, and two, it's interesting that I feel like the more I have been vulnerable, to be candid, uh, the downloads increase. And the shows do. So that's an interesting aspect of it too. So we're going to get real vulnerable here in a minute. Though I do want to, just as far as story goes, um, I watched you last night in a movie and I, I want to hit the story because as we talk about courage, that's a big part of your story of getting that movie role. So folks, the quick story here. So she's on Broadway doing the show Jersey Boys, which is a story of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Uh, it's such a fun movie. Um, oh, well, such a fun story. So she's doing that on stage and the long story short, Clint Eastwood then is going to make a movie about it. And 
what a great opportunity it would seem for you. You want to be a part of that or audition for it, and they're not really going to let you. And I like that you said in your book, you thought, yeah, Marissa Tomei is probably going to get this part or something <laughs> like that. Not me, which by the way, she's way too mousy to get that part. You, you it was, that was for you. But so, um, you weren't going to have the opportunity and tell the story because it took you communicating and takes took some courage and boom, you're on the big screen. Yeah. Well, it was 2013, and and as you said, Kevin, I was performing as the role of Mary Delgado, Frankie Valley's wife, in Jersey Boys on Broadway. So, for those of you who may not be too familiar with Broadway, think of think about it like being able to be a quarterback in the NFL. Like this is like the heights for an, an entertainer for a performer. So I'm playing this role at the highest level I could be. And one Sunday matinee, I'm on the stage singing My Boyfriend's Back with my fellow Mm -hmm. castmates. And looking at me from 10 rows back is the legend himself, Clint Eastwood. We got word that he was going to be directing the film version. And yes, as I say in my book, my first thought was like, oh, well, that's cool. I've never done TV or film at this point. And I said to myself, they're going to hire A-list celebrities out of Los Angeles. Yes, Marissa Tomei is probably going to play my role. But then they started calling people in from our cast to audition and they put out a breakdown for the role of Mary. And a breakdown is simply a description of the type of person they're seeking. And the hysterical part about this, Kevin, is it was basically me, right? It was like... um, sassy girl from new jersey the feisty fun first wife of frankie valley and i was like huh that that sounds familiar yeah and i want people to hear not that not just familiar that you play that role that's you you are a girl from new jersey and an italian american family yeah okay yes like renee marino me myself grew up in new jersey down the street from where the entire storyline of jersey boys takes place Well, my agent and I try and tried to get me an appointment to audition. And for some reason, the casting department won't see me for the role of Mary. But the, they said they'll give me an audition for one of the smaller roles, one of the angels who sings my boyfriend's back. And I'll never forget getting the phone call from my agent, hanging up the phone and feeling so disappointed. And for about 30 minutes, everybody, I felt my feelings. I cried. I felt frustrated. It was it was one of those moments where you're just like, you feel defeated. I was like, I'm doing everything I can, and I'm playing the role at the highest level I could be. So after about 30 minutes, I physically and spiritually threw my hands up, and I said out loud, what am I going to do? I tried everything. I'm still going to go in and audition for one of the angels. The day of the audition, I'm in the room with the casting director. We're having a great conversation. And then he says, Renee, would you like to sing the song first or read the scene? And I'll never forget at that moment, I heard this quiet little voice within me say, you have to do this. It feels too right. And before I was even consciously aware, I looked at the casting director in the eyes and I said, you know, Jeff, I was really hoping to come in and read for the role of Mary Delgado. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's he going to say? It came out of my mouth like so quickly. And he looks back at me and he says, I was just thinking the same thing. And I was like, great. Awesome. So I do the audition that day. I leave the audition room feeling so grateful, not because I ever thought I was going to get this role, but I was so proud of myself for creating that opportunity. All I wanted was the chance. Fast forward two weeks. 
I'm back to my eight shows a week on Broadway, and I happen to be at my childhood home in New Jersey with my mom, dad, and grandmother about to leave for my brother's wedding when my agent calls me and says, you're Mary Delgado in the movie Clint Eastwood loves you. And I was like, that's incredible. It was, it was crazy, Kevin. It was the most surreal moment of my life. Cut to the first day of filming. Now, I want to remind you, all of you listening, really think about this. I have never stepped foot on a film set or TV set, um, like film set before. This was like jumping off of a cliff. And I know we all have those moments in our lives where it's like, oh my gosh, what am I walking into? It's a new job. It's a new position. What are they going to think of me? It was surreal. But again, I heard that quiet voice say to me, Renee, you know what you're doing. Clint Eastwood hired you. Trust in your talent and leap. And I'm in my first dress for for my first scene where Frankie and, and Mary meet. And I walk into the location and Clint Eastwood's whole team is like, Renee, welcome. And before I know it, the legend himself walks up to my right side and says, you know, I went around to all the different casts, but nobody was in your class. And then you came in and put yourself on tape and it was the icing on the cake. And I was just holding back the tears. I, I couldn't believe that this is Clint Eastwood talking to me. I go to film that first scene. And after we filmed that day, Clint and I sat and ate lunch together. And every day from that day forward, I would sit with Mr. Eastwood and eat lunch with him and pick his brain like a sponge. Yeah. Clint, what does this camera shot mean? Clint, what did you, when did you start acting? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Because for me, one of the most vital components of communication is being what I call a complete listener. Yeah. And that's listening to hear and absorb and not just listen to respond. Yeah. And I learned some of the greatest lessons of my life because of listening in this way. It's a month into the project. I'm sitting eating lunch once again with Clint Eastwood and the producer of the film. Side note, everyone, I love eating more than anything. So <laughs> I'm sitting there eating lunch and the producer and Clint start talking about how he knew Clint knew he wanted me for the role when he saw me perform on Broadway. Mm. And I stared at them. I put my fork down, which takes a lot. Yes. And I looked at them and I said, do you guys want to hear a funny story? I didn't have an appointment to audition for the role of Mary. The only reason I got to is because I opened up my big mouth in the room and asked. And the two of them look at each other and they go, what do you mean? We requested you. We said, we want the girl from the Broadway show to come in and audition. Wow. Imagine my surprise. Yeah. And I came to find out that day, Kevin, that there was a middle person person casting associate juggling a few films at once and just dropped the ball on having me come into audition and i am so grateful that this happened to share this message that when we learn to confidently and effectively communicate we open the door to opportunities and for me if i didn't speak up in the room that day, I could have missed my once in a lifetime opportunity. I love the story. I want to hit right there though. Once in a lifetime opportunity. 
Because I heard your story, my first thought is, oh, and now you go from there and you're just going to be in all these other films, right? And yet that's not really where the story goes. And you go from that opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity, you're on Broadway, now you're on the screen and you say, in essence, what you told me the other day, I wrote it down. I'm ready to activate some other gifts. I think it's seriously, if I'm your agent, I'm pissed now. Okay. Come on. Seriously. Really? Well, we're going for an Oscar now and you're going to go, uh, you're going to go activate. That's pretty awesome that you, I don't know. I, I want you to speak on that a little bit because you know, the pressure that we feel, especially career wise to, as we make progress that we've got to build on that. We've got to create the inertia, man. If you're a doctor and you went to med school and you've been doing it for five years even though you're not enjoying it, or maybe you just kind of got that out of your system or you're, or, or maybe it's great, but you're just interested in something else. You can't do that. Maybe the first thing you say to somebody, especially somebody close to you about, yeah, I'm thinking about doing something else. Or, Are you kidding me? You have invested so much into this Renee that you need to stick with that. And you're saying, nah, I'm interested in this in, in, pursuing communication coaching. You said writing, teaching, and coaching. Now I ask you, I mean, you said you're not, it's not like you're never going to be on stage or on screen again. You're still open to that, but that's not what you're actively pursuing. But that right there is, it's courageous. And that's why I want you to speak to it because there's a lot of people out there that feel like, no, I put so much into it. I need to stay here. Here you are, once in a lifetime opportunity, instead of going to the next greater thing in that realm, you say, no, I I kind of got a great thing over here that I'm interested in. That's a big shift. For sure. For sure. And I, I love that you and I spoke about this the other day because it is such an important point. We, as business owners, no matter what we may do for our careers, we put pressure on ourselves yeah. to do things the way that it's supposed to be done, right? I like to say, and I, I say this in the book, we we should do this, we should do that, we should all over ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really what's really helpful is to eliminate the should from our vocabulary. But to backtrack after I did the film, it was one of the most incredible years of my life. Right after I filmed the movie, I got engaged. And then 2014, when the film came out, I also got married. Mm -hmm. And from there, yeah, I mean, I felt like I was on the trajectory, like, Oh my gosh, this could, maybe we win an Oscar, right? There's all this buzz and some wonderful thing happened some wonderful things happened career wise after the movie i did my first television show um where i was on the path to be a guest star but it was a brand new show so it only lasted 8 episodes but that was amazing for me see i like to look at everything i do and pull the lessons and the gifts out of it mm-hmm. so even though yes it was oh, this brand new TV show isn't lasting for me. I was like, yeah, but Renee, you just did your first guest star role. Mm -hmm. Check. You did it. So I did that. I did a few commercials. I performed out in Los Angeles, wrote my own one-woman show. I got to sing for David Foster, (laughs) created a connection with him. Um, So there was a lot of other wonderful opportunities that happened after the movie. But yes, it wasn't what we would think. Right. Oh, this girl, she's a newbie in the in the film world. People are wondering who is she? What's next? But other big films didn't come after that. And I believe that doing that movie. Yes, it was a gift as far as a performer and my career accolades. But 
it was for a bigger purpose. And that purpose, Kevin, was for me to be able to share it with you all just as I did. Because the bigger picture here is that communication is what can help shift our lives, our relationships, our work life. But we don't place enough emphasis on it. And I believe that that's part of my life's mission. So after doing the film, I came back to Broadway, did Pretty Woman the Musical. And at that time, I started writing my book. And it was pretty hilarious. I'd run off stage with all my makeup, my my dance shoes on, and the crew guys would let me use their room to, to write. And I'd be there writing in between numbers. And once that show closed in 2019, as you said so beautifully, I was ready to activate my other gifts. Because I've always felt that if God, the universe, whatever you may believe, I believe God gave me these gifts of writing, of coaching, of speaking on stages. If he gave me those gifts, I must use them in this life or else, oh my goodness, I'll feel like I've wasted it. One of my favorite quotes is by Chaz Palmentary from the movie A Bronx Tale. He says, Mm. the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And that's how I feel. So at that point in my life, I said, okay, I've done five Broadway shows, three national tours, a movie, TV show, commercials, wrote my own one woman show. I want to see about this being an author coach thing. And that's how it happened. And and from there, I, I took a course, started coaching um, at first just business owners and entrepreneurs on how to get on video mm-hmm. and be themselves with confidence. And that brought me to where we are today. I do want to. I'm going to question the gifts to activate other gifts, because as I hear you talking about, and I even think about myself in a sense, you were just transferring what you were already doing to a different vehicle. Is that that fair? I mean, because you're still doing the same thing. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about myself. I've been writing. I've been writing for my entire life. I mean, from as a kid in school, that's where I was best. The only class I got an A in was, was English, you know, and, and my skills there were just, uh, kind of natural. And through my trajectory now as an athlete, I just read a lot. I didn't, I didn't write a whole lot, but as I got back into business and whatnot, it's always writing. That's how you create a business. And I would take an idea and a concept and I would write and sell that to whether whether it's investors or customers or or whatever. And yet it's only as of late that I have decided I want to write a book. My book comes out, you know, this may, so I'm applying it in a different way. And I really want to pursue more of an author role and step outside of business. So I feel like I'm kind of transferring the skills to another place and you've been up on stage, you're on screen, you're communicating, and now you're taking what you did and applying it elsewhere. I just like the concept because I think so often people don't realize the transferable skills that they actually have. Mm -hmm. They think I know how to do X and that's it. And if I don't have the opportunity to do that, man, I'm just out of luck and go, no, you've got transferable skills and experience and credibility that can go over here. What do you think? Oh, Kevin, you gave me chill bumps. Everyone, I hope you highlight and bold that as you're taking notes here. Transferable skills. I love that. And yes, you stated it so beautifully because that's exactly what I did. And I recently thought about this as well because I said, you know what? 
yes, I call myself a communication coach right now, right? It's almost like, what do we choose to place emphasis on at what point in our lives, yeah. right? Because yeah. as you just said, you've you've always been an author, you've always been a writer, but now you're at the stage where you're ready to kind of put the spotlight on that gift. And now I'm an author. That's what I did because in my reflection, I said, Renee, you've been a master communicator, so to speak, your whole life through the medium of stage, then through the medium of film, then through the medium of one-on-one in your relationships. So yes, I, I love that you stated that in that way because you're right. These were gifts that I had been using since I was five years old, but now it was just in a different way. Well, it's interesting too, just with your story. So you're a master communicator. Let's say, so you're a paid performer. You're up there on stage. You know how to do that. You could do that and not do well at connecting with people off stage. But if you weren't able to do that, you would have not, you wouldn't have gotten that role. Uh, and because to me, again, communicating is, and we, we all have to, and we all have to go to going back to dear old Zig Ziglar. We all have to sell ourselves. He said, everybody's a salesman, but we have to sell ourselves. You're never going to get a date. If you can't sell yourself to somebody, you're never going to get a job. If you can't sell yourself to somebody. So here you are uh, a master at your craft on stage. You would not have gotten the role though. If you couldn't off stage, look the was it the director uh, or whoever yeah, the, casting the casting director. director look him in the eye and go, you know what? I actually wanted to, you know, do X, uh, 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 audition for Mary Delgado role. And just again, back to the power of communicating. So we're going to get into that. I do have just, this is a total rabbit trail question, but I was just a little curious. So here you are on stage. Now you go to film, which was harder. Oh, well, oh. It's so different. They are such different mediums because think about this. You're on a stage and as a musical theater performer, your goal is to reach the person in the last row of this, you know, 1400 seat theater. So it's about projection, right? It's about using your voice to, to reach that person and connect with them in that way. Then You have film on this side and it's about acting for kind of like this zoom screen, but even smaller, right? It's a, it's a video camera. So it's much more intimate. And I remember before doing the film sitting in the, in the dressing room, I'm still doing Jersey boys on Broadway and me and my girlfriends are talking about it. And they're like, yeah, you know, just remind yourself like it's much smaller. Um, So when I got on, I filmed the first scene that first day, I remember the, the camera kind of coming up to meet my eyes. And it was as if I just locked into my power hmm. because that little screen was right in front of me. It was natural that I knew now to only focus on expressing myself in a natural and authentic way, as opposed to thinking now I have to project for the entire yeah. space to hear. So they're different. I wouldn't say which one's harder than the other. They're just so different. But I will say this. I will say this, Kevin, and you'll appreciate this. When a film actor decides that they want to go to Broadway, it's a culture shock. Not only because the the acting skill is so different, right? Now they have to really use everything within them to reach that person in the, in the last row. But it's not as glamorous as when you're doing a film or a television show. 
there's no caterers on on staff. You better go to 42nd Street and get yourself a bagel. There is no usually no one doing your makeup. I had to do my makeup for all every Broadway show I did. And when you are backstage in your dressing room, unless you're one of the lead roles, you're in a a pretty um, run down dressing room with about eight other women and you're in about a four by six dressing room. So it's a culture shock because all of a sudden it's like, oh, my goodness, this is this is not as glamorous as as I thought. And I've heard a lot of um, film actors say, like, wow, I. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I had to go back to film and TV because mm-hmm. I got comfortable in that space. So I feel very honored that I've been able to be versatile enough to do both. I, I like that. I it just, I've been again through my wife and, and through other people been able to be privy to that. And like, uh, when you talk about projecting, I think of Adina, I think that's how you say her, Menzel, uh, you know, yes, she, Menzel, yeah. she's a singer. Everybody knows her songs from frozen, man. She's a projector, man. It's oh, yeah. as opposed to, I mean, super powerful voice, but Celine Dion has a mic right there and she can be soft and she can total difference. And on the actors. Yeah. I think of like Hugh Jackman. I just such a fan of him. I mean, that guy can rock it on stage and on the screen as opposed to like Kevin Costner. You're not going to put him on stage. Uh, it's just, that's not where he, that's not where he flourishes. Well, communication then. So you know, in getting to the first part of your book and in the intro, I'll give everybody access to the free opportunity, free download of your communication home and that, yeah. Talk about vulnerable. Okay. So you start off right, right off the bat, commu- you know, talking about three types of communicators. And the first one is the peacekeeper, right? Mm. And I want people to, again, you're talking about commu- You said you started off with it, helping entrepreneurs and help people do that. But in tr- I mean, your book is a self-help book. That's why you're on the show. Yeah. It is about communicating at the most intimate, whether you're talking about with your spouse, your kids or whatever, or if it's on stage or on a camera or in your work or whatever. So you're, you talk about the peacekeeper. That's me. Uh, mm. I'm the peacekeeper. And then you go into your bullet points. I'm an avoider. I don't want conflict. I would have had a hard time in your family uh, where they're just going <laughs> yeah. at it. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a mediator. I'd just rather take the blame. Can we just move on and can we just have mm-hmm. peace? So that's, uh, that's a, a problem. So you have the peacekeeper. A lot of people are going to relate to that. And I'm just giving a quick overview. Then the passion player, and that's going to be you, I assume. Yes. yes? yes. Okay. You yes. define that. You define the passion player then. Yes. The passion player is... The person whose main priority when it comes to communication is getting right to the heart of a communication matter. So there are different styles. There are three different styles that can be tied to each home. So as Kevin just said, if you are the peacekeeper, well, that's the umbrella of which home you're in. But you could be someone who either avoids or you are a bit of passive aggressive mm-hmm. Or you're a mediator. And here's the truth, everyone. We all teeter-totter between different homes and different styles, depending on the circumstance. But we all have that most natural go-to style that we rely on. And this is just a really great tool to give you a starting point to understand how you communicate in the way you do and why you do. So for myself, I am definitely in the, the passion player. I am all about direct verbal interaction. So Kev, if you and I are best friends and I'm sensing some tension, maybe you're texting me and we, we've all done this. You read the text in 
your own voice, yep. even though yep. we don't know the true tone of it. And I go into what I call assumption animosity, which is um, animosity from assuming what one means to be true. And I'm assuming, oh, Kevin seems like he's just really pissed off today. What's his problem? I'm the, the person as the direct verbal interactor. I would pick up the phone and I'd say, hey, Kev, just real quick. I, I got your text. I just want to make sure everything's cool. Are you good? Oh. Because for me. I want to cut out all the wasting of time, wasting of energy. I care so much about you as my best friend that I just want to get right to it. And I recognize as a communication coach, that's not easy for everybody, right? You just said it, Kevin. It that's can, not your It can style. feel aggressive and even yes. uh, overly assertive, maybe even a little accusing coming at me. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. So none of these communication homes are good or bad. And they're not meant to have you judge yourself. That's the last thing we want to do. If we want to become master communicators, let that self-judgment go. This is simply a tool to help you to recognize and become aware of the way that you communicate. Yeah, like a self-audit, which yeah, uh, again, yeah. I appreciate. And, and the third one you have is the laid back one, which is, are some of the things that you pull out there is an emotional, or I wrote this down, kind of a, an emotional lack and yep. listens, but doesn't share. Again, that's, that's really naturally me. Um, yes. so, and I'm, I'm working on it. That's li literally, I mean, literally that's part of, that's a primary part of my therapy is to feel my own emotions and be mm. aware of my own emotions and to share those because in well, let's go to that because you talked about that you can vacillate. Not, I don't you didn't, use, you didn't use the word, but you can jump back and forth there. That if you put me in the right scenario and in, in work where I'm real confident, I can be more of the passion player. I can I can kind of come into that a little bit and not be so afraid of the conflict or whatnot. But now in the intimate relationships, especially with my spouse, is where I am the most. That's where I'm the most scared. Honestly, it's where I'm the most sensitive. And, and so I can, uh, you know, revert back there. And that's been where it's hurt that I, I, I don't think that I'm a private person. I used to not think that I'm, I'm an open book, man. I'm not private except with my feelings, I'm not yeah. going to share my, which is again, the laid back one listens, I'll listen, be real interested, but you're never going to hear what I think necessarily or my, or, or what I feel. You might hear what I think an opinion, but not what I feel. And so yeah, to be open and vulnerable with that, that hasn't helped some of my most intimate relationships. And here I'm at 50, finally digging into the communication homes that I have and how to be a little more adept at veering outside of those with some courage. Yes. Yeah. Kevin, I have to tell you, I am so impressed by you. I'm sitting here listening to you very vulnerably talk about where you believe you have struggles and what is hard for you. And I'm watching you grow in front of my eyes because the fact that you're able to share that with me so openly, yeah, my intimate relationships, that's where I, I hold back a little bit or it's not as easy for me to talk about my feelings. That is so admirable because I want everyone to really understand this. The first step to being a great communicator in any area of your life is mastering that communication with yourself. And that's what you're doing, Kevin, by owning up to the fact that, yeah, I don't, I'm not so great in this area. 
we all must do this. And I love you use the word audit, do this Mm. audit for ourselves in our lives, because if it's you wanting to um, be considered for that new job promotion and you want to talk to your boss about it, but you're nervous about that, I want to assure you, if you don't first get clear on yourself and what's holding you back and what you think makes you best for that new position, you're never going to be communicate, be able to communicate in an honest and effective way with your boss. So again, Kevin, what you're doing, and I can't wait for your wife to hear this interview because she's going to be like, Kevin, you're amazing. You just owned up to that, which is so hard to do. So like, really, I I mean this sincerely, kudos to you. And you sharing this, you are not alone. You are not alone, even in, in, in any way, shape or form. When my husband and I first started dating, I talk about this in the book as well. We were dating for, I'd say like a month, right? And it was clear that we both really liked each other. The actions were there, but nothing was said. And for me, Renee, who's that direct verbal interact in, interaction woman, I'm thinking to myself, and I'll never forget, it was my 30th birthday. And we went to my, my birthday party, and then we came back, and we're sitting on the couch. And in my head, right, that second conversation we all have, I'm thinking to myself, if he doesn't tell me how he feels, like, that's it. Like, this is over. Like, I need to have the, the confirmation mm-hmm. about this. And he's so intuitive. He must have sensed my energy. And out of nowhere, he goes, so, you know, where's this going? And I said, well, why don't you tell me? Because I feel like I've made it really clear, which in hindsight, everyone, what a hypocrite, right? Because I didn't say it either, yet I was waiting for him to. So, passive aggressive thanks for passive aggressive exactly exactly this is why i can write and talk about these things because i experienced them myself so i said to him well i think i've made it clear through you know through my actions how i feel about you you were the person sitting beside me at my big 30th birthday and he turns to me kevin and he goes well i have a really great time with you and i go what I go, well, I have a great time with everybody I meet. I mean, I just had a great time with the with the amazing woman who gave me my Starbucks this morning. What does that mean? And in my head again, I'm like, oh, no, you know what? This is not going to work. And then like a few minutes later, he goes, no, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I really care about you. I think we should do this. And I tell you this because my husband was just like you. He was not used to talking about feelings. Are you kidding me? Like opening up about what he's thinking and going through. That was not him. But after he said that to me, then we had this open conversation about what we expected in our relationship. And the first thing I said is I said, one of my deal breakers is communication. I really believe that communication is the foundation of any relationship. So that's really important to me. Like us having this this open conversation right now makes me so very happy. I can't even fully express it to you. So it was this beautiful moment where we just started learning about each other a little bit. And because he realized how much it mattered to me, <laughs> I now know nine years later, he's like, oh, after that conversation, I, I, I wrote a song at that time called Communicate. 
Um, and it was like, why can't you just communicate? Open your mouth and say what you need to say. He said, on the drive home, I kept re-listening to that song wow. and telling myself, Michael, you have to start to learn to open up a bit. And it's been this wonderful journey for us where communication is now our greatest tool. So I say that to to let you know you're not alone and to remind you that it's a practice. Now my husband, he calls me out when I'm the one not communicating. If if I seem frustrated and he's like, let's talk about it. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. And then he's like, hey, Miss Communicator, what happened about communication being your uh, deal breaker? That Okay, I want to dig in there because you talk about communicating in an honest and effective way. You use those words. I wrote them down. Yet... You also just said um, practicing it. And we talked a minute ago about training that. And when we look at, I mean, back again to the Zig Ziglar sales type concept, you know, to practice your lines. Well, I mean, that's what you do. You know, that's what you made a profession out of. But even there, he's talking with sales to, to know what you're talking about, to know what you might say if somebody says X, Y, Z, to know how you're going to present yourself, to know how you're going to show up and, and to be ready to ask a question, to listen. I mean, there is a structure there. And I know because I've heard it that people struggle with holding that aspect, having somewhat of an agenda, a plan, a training, a practice, it doesn't feel, they have a hard time holding that with honest and being authentic. You know, authentic, authenticity is a big word today. And they feel like, gosh, if I'm rehearsing, that doesn't feel authentic, but my gosh, what can we do? Is there anything that we do really well that we have not trained to do to some aspects? And we're talking about interaction with another person you're still you. Can we say that? You're you're still you. You're talking about your feelings, your emotions, oh. your but you are saying, how can I do this in a way that does connect with somebody? I'm probably not going to do that off the cuff naturally. Nobody does that well. You didn't get up on stage and just kill it day one. You train and you practice. So I feel like that's what you're calling us to. What, but just hold that because I know that that's a hard thing for people. Again, to hold authenticity, honesty, and yet some planning. Is that the best way to say it? Yes, absolutely. One of the, the things I teach is, is my connect method, mm -hmm. which starts with first step communication with self, then owning who you are, right? This is a really important piece here. I want everyone to own, like understand and, and recognize we are all different. This is why there are different communication homes. This is why I'm here talking with my hands, high mm -hmm. energy and and Kevin's telling us that he happens to be, you know, a little bit more subdued when it comes to talking about his feelings, right? We're all so different. And that's beautiful. That's what makes the world go round. So having a structure of how to be an authentic and honest communicator, I like to say it's a loose structure. So the first step is understanding you. First, having that recognition of I have to I have to operate within the means of who I am. Again, picture if I tried to be like you, Kevin, I wouldn't, it wouldn't quite work. And if I, if there was another person sitting and watching us, they would look at me and say, uh, I don't know, something seems off about her. Mm -hmm. Just like if you tried to be this high energy, talking with your hands person like I am, it would come off inauthentic. So that's why step one is first, Tuning into who you are, asking yourself every morning when you wake up, how am I feeling? Putting pen to paper, writing about it, figuring out what you're feeling, why, 
We don't do this enough nowadays because we often wake up, open our eyes, roll over, pick up our smartphone, start answering emails or doing what I call the good old SNC, scroll and compare. Mm -hmm. Hop on social media and we jump into others' lives without taking inventory of our own, right? So this is part of this loose structure. So after you communicate with yourself, then owning that person, we all have things that we wish we could be better at. We wish we could be more like this person. But at the end of the day, once we own who we are, that's where confidence comes from. And then we can move about the world in a much more aligned way, which allows us to communicate more honestly and effectively. Right? Yeah. Then that takes you to the next step of the connect method, nailing down information. What do I mean by that? Well, you know this firsthand, Kevin, when you're having a guest come on, you don't just press record and say like, hey, Renee, who are you? Where are you from? You do some research. Oh, what's her background? I mean, I feel like you know more about me than I know about myself. That's how good you are at this, right? Nailing down information. And this holds true for even... um smaller instances where it's just meeting, you know, meeting a new coworker who is a new person at your company, finding out good old Google, we could find everything out, find out where they come from, um, a little bit about what their background is. Why? Because that allows you then to connect with that person through some commonalities. The next step of the connect method is next level storytelling. You said it before, we connect through stories. So sitting with ourselves and thinking about our own stories, right? What makes me me? What's some experiences I've had throughout my life that have been the game changers that have shaped me? My Clint Eastwood story, right? The story of how I spoke up and through communication received one of the most life-changing opportunities of my life, right? So we have communicate with self. We have own who you are. We have nailed down the information, next level storytelling. The next step, this might be really interesting to some of you, but energizing through movement. Why do I say this? My background as a professional dancer for decades, I know that there is a direct connection between movement and improved cognitive performance. Research shows it time and time mm -hmm. again. Why does this matter when it comes to communication? Because if our brains aren't operating in a way that allows us to focus and listen, how could we really connect? Which brings us to the next step, which is being a complete listener. And I think of everything that we will talk about today, that listening component is something we all have the capability to do, but we don't often do it because we're so distracted. Our minds have begun to speed up because of digital technology. Mm -hmm. We are so used to task switching. I'm talking to you and I'm getting a notification on my phone and then I'm talking to somebody and then I'm looking at the tab open on my computer. Because of this, it's much harder to focus. And it's funny, I, I like to compare it to Pavlov's dogs, right? Remember that mm -hmm. where the dogs were trained and conditioned to salivate the minute they heard the bell go off. Well, we as human beings have become, become conditioned to check out of what we're listening to the moment we hear a notification go off on our phone. 
We've all experienced it, right? You're in a conversation with someone and you're really opening up to them and all of a sudden they check out because they pick up their phone to check a text. We all do this. So this is something that we can really start to work on. And this, no matter what home we live in communication wise, this will allow us to be more honest and effective as communicators. And the last step of the connected method is talking from the heart, knowing that it's not about perfection. It's about connection. Kevin and I right now talking, we didn't practice this conversation. I'm going to flub my words. I probably have already. We may go off on a tangent or two. It's not going to be perfect. But at the end of the day, we're having a real conversation. And hopefully, you will all connect with us through us talking from our hearts. And we've trained. I mean, to be yes. fair, we, we have yes. trained. And as you're, I mean, this is why I only do the interviews on Zoom. Uh, so that I can see you. And we're working now towards studios where we do these more just in person because of the energy, because of looking at you and the nuances of your face and your expression and the hesitation and, and whatnot. It adds so much. And I have to listen to you. Otherwise, I can't do a good show. And it's a great training. That right there, though, you talked about listening and the distraction of social media. But listening in general, I feel is somewhat of a lost art these days. We're in a tell society and I think made worse. Yeah. By the social media, we tell people what we're doing on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. We tell, we tell, we tell, and we audit and compare and stuff, but then we still go to tell. It's not a place to listen and understand and yeah, back to even like a dating aspect. I mean, hopefully everybody's seen that and, and witnessed that and the, you know, they exaggerate it in a film where typically the guy, right. Mm. Comes along, sits down and what does he do? He spends 20 minutes without stop in a monologue telling you about himself. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about you. He's not even telling a story. He's just telling you it's kind of his, his, his resume. And, uh, you know, I, you don't even know if you should be. That is what I appreciate. I never used one, but I have friends who have used personal, uh, you know, the personal dating sites and whatnot. Um, Yep, yep. eHarmony and Match and whatever, all that. Because you kind of go in there and get a feel for somebody and see, okay, man, they may look great. That may be somebody I might walk up to in a bar or something like that. But now I'm going to read their stuff. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's, there's no chance we're going to connect. So now we're yeah. going to first even say, is there even a shot that we're going to connect? If there is, now let me tell you my story. Let me hear your story and see where those connection points are. And, you know, to the, big topic of your book with social media that does not happen there social media is great to text with my kid to say hey where are you when i pick you up at school are you at the other door or whatever that's awesome but to get a feeling across and to maybe that's it back to connection we do not connect yeah we do not connect you know what happens you know what happens kevin many many situations bring people to what i call keyboard confidence Keyboard confidence is that raw, unfiltered confidence that you have when behind a screen and typing through a keyboard. We've all seen this. Maybe you go on Facebook and you see a post from a friend you know on a very deep level. And you're reading this post and you're thinking, who wrote that and what have they done with my friend? Because I know they would never have the confidence to say that in person, right? And and because of that, there's a disconnect because now let's just use you, Kevin, Kevin, 
who's showing up on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, is a completely different Kevin than his family and friends know. And because of that, we see, let's use that word again, the opposite, inauthenticity. And how could someone connect with you when it's like, well, which person am I getting? Because he feels confident when he's behind a screen, but not when when we're face to face. In the book, I compare it to the Wizard of Oz and the, the wizard right. who wears this mask, right? In the movie, I love it so much. Dorothy and her friends, they, they journey to go meet the wizard. He's going to grant them all their wishes and they get there and he's this huge, big presence, right? He's this big literal mask with this deep voice and he's he's really intimidating then there goes toto and he pulls back the curtain and we see him for what he is which dorothy refers to him as an insecure humbug and he's this little man with a very meek voice and he's like what are you doing you can't see the real me but isn't it interesting everybody that he was only able to help dorothy and his and her friends when that mask was removed and he stepped into who he truly was. Yeah. The same holds true for us. We cannot connect with each other until we are being the person that we are when no one else is around. The person that we are with our closest friends and family. Now, this isn't to say, of course, we have different aspects of our personality, right? We're a little more maybe silly or laid back with our family. But for the most part, if you're going to post, send an email, a text that you would not be comfortable talking about in person, ask yourself this question. Would I be comfortable saying this in person? If the answer is no, restructure it and rewrite it the way you would. And before you send a text, an email, a message on social media, ask yourself this second question. Does this represent me and my intention? Mm. Oftentimes we quickly write a text and we send it and then we're like, "Uh oh, that came off so bad. Last week I sent a text to a friend of mine and I did it quickly. I'm glad it was funny, but this is an example. I intended to write, I love you, you're an angel to my girlfriend it sent and it said i love you you're a bagel <laughs> <laughs> beautiful yeah well you're in new jersey that's fair exactly it works it works yeah. but how often do we do this when it's sending an email to our boss and then we read it back and we're like oh my gosh the tone of that did not represent my intention at all so ask yourself those two questions before you connect through digital technology. Number one, would I be comfortable saying this in person? Number two, does this represent me and my intention well? And if you do that before any interaction, I assure you, you're going to start to step into that most honest person that you are. And you call it keyboard confidence. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to also put in there, it, it's also a, the distance can cause disrespect, keyboard disrespect and, <laughs> and lack of consideration. I think about it with car. You could say the same thing, car confidence, because I see people in, I, I am a, uh, I am a very aggressive and intolerant driver. So uh, that's why I live in a place where I don't have to drive much because it's just dangerous for everybody. And, but I'm, I'm so frustrated at how people will act in a car disrespectfully and there's no way that they would do or act like that if it was in a grocery aisle, right? Where yes. you're face to face. There's no way that they would 
they would act like such a jerk. There's no yes. way there'd be a lot of fear there. And, and yet we do that in those veins. Okay. I want to pull something out though, Renee, back to, you talked about introverts, extroverts. We talked about the communication homes of, you know, those who are more aggressive and assertive and those who are a little more reserved, right? So we've got that. Those are real. And you said a minute ago, something effective operating in the means of who I am. Yeah. Okay. I am a, um, I, I, I'm a pretty witty guy. I'm slow. I'm a slow wit. Do not, I'm not going to be up doing comedy. Uh, it takes me a while. I can be really funny, but I'm going to have to think about it for a minute. I process slow. I mean, I just do. I process. I think I'm a deep thinker, but I process things. My wife is like you and I, she can just, she can say it. I was going to ask you, are you, do you consider yourself an external processor? Like you can think through things better as you talk and kind of talk yes. it out. Is that fair? Yes. I, I, I that is definitely fair to say. I, I have no concept of that. The more I talk, I mean, here we've got a structure, we've got a topic. I can do it here, but if we're talking about, especially if I'm talking about my feelings, you know, with you and you're saying, Kevin, how do you feel? You know, tell me about that. I'm going to talk a little bit and I'll get lost at some point And mm-hmm. sometimes say, you know what? Can we just, I, I, I literally need to think about this and come back to you. I am a writer. I think and process better when I write my propensity though, is I would be great pen pals with everybody. Let's just not even talk. Okay. Yes. I'm going to write <laughs> you, write, But that, okay. That would be uh, literally, I would I, like, yeah. I'm, I'm that person that you've ever seen that meme. Um, I, I see you calling and I'm wondering why you don't just text. Um, <laughs> Okay. That's so this is, this is the honest truth here. Okay. But there's, I want to give some validity to the different person out, different profiles. I do think better if I've got something, especially from an intimate nature, and I'm really thinking about my thoughts and, and, and feelings, I will sometimes write that out often, write that out, write a novel, write a letter to myself, write that out. And it then helps equip me to now go talk about it which I do need to do. I need to get face to face. And likewise, and, and I would say to some, I'll just pick on you. Some yeah. folks like you would be well deserved to just to chill out. Why don't you go think about it for a minute before yes, you just exactly. speak? It? Yeah, fair. Okay. But now we do ultimately need to come together. Some with both, with some thought, with some uh, back to your practice, with some training, with some intent, with the care yeah. to consider each other, listen, understand. I mean, you know, that structure, listen, you know, even reiterate it. Okay. So is this what I heard you say? Cause my wife will do that sometimes with me. Okay. Is this what I heard you say? I go, no, that was not what I said. Let me go write about that for a minute. I'll come back and say, yeah, you're like, no, I didn't say that. I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote it. Yeah. I want that pause button where everybody freezes like in those films and I go second, hold on. Uh, yeah. So I speak to that a little bit because this is, I don't want somebody to get the picture of, okay, we've all got to be like Renee and just be able to go no. nail it. We've got to be verbal. We got to, cause that is not my happy place. Again, I can do this conversation about a topic. I can ad lib. I've done my training, but now if you say, okay, then tell me about your thoughts. I've had some people do this, especially some psychologists I've had on the show. Tell me about your thoughts. Okay. I'm going to have to hit the pause button, man. We're going to have to pause the recording. I can't just, I'm not fluent with yes. that. So, play with that a little bit. So everybody feels like I can be, as you said, operate in the means of who I am and still communicate. Well, please do please. That is, is such an important point for me to highlight. You must be yourself. 
And this is what brings me back to say, this is why I will keep saying it to remind you because we need to hear things many, many times for it to stick. This is why step one of communicating with yourself is critical, vital, so important. Because if we don't take the time, as Mr. Kevin here has, to understand this is how I process things, then we start operating by thinking we need to be like someone else and that's where we run into problems. So yes, we must all take inventory for ourselves and that's why I wrote my book about balancing these worlds of new school technology with what I call old school simplicity. Because if we just spend our days behind the screens, letting our brains move so fast that we don't recognize who we are or what we need to feel good or how we need to process things, this is where problems arise in our lives. My husband and I, again, perfect. We sound like you and your wife. When he's upset about something, say it's work. And of course I'm like, so what's going on? What happened? What'd they say? And I'll I'll laugh because sometimes he'll be like, yeah, it was good. And I'm like, okay, but like, good how? What did they say? <laughs> and he's like, all right, listen, it was a tough day. I, ju- I just need to take some time. Yeah. And yeah. that's great because now I understand his way of doing things. He needs to go off by himself a bit, process it, and then he'll come back maybe later that night or the next day. And now he has clarity around what he even was feeling. And yeah. then we can talk about it. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. Kevin, it's amazing. We are so different. Once again, he's not trying to be like me and verbalize in the moment he knows how he operates best he knows that he's an internal processor so he goes off does his thing comes back and boom we're we're communicating beautifully so yes this my book my message is not about saying okay everybody you must be direct verbal interactors yeah. always verbalize everything no i want you to be so fully completely honestly you that you can help but connect with another person kevin and i are so different so different but because he knows who he is and i know who i am man i'm freaking loving this conversation even the first time we spoke i was like kevin i could talk to you for 12 hours because we both are operating i'd like to to use that phrase in our zone of genius of who we are so it really all goes back to that first chapter of the book right understanding your communication home the first step of my connect method communicating with yourself let's spend more time with ourselves right now than we do with others and when we do then when we go to have a conversation or be in a meeting or an interaction with a person or others. It is that much more genuine. That's where I would love. I'm thinking about it being a, as a, being a parent or a, an employer or whatnot that I could have two very similar employees. And one says to an issue, okay, you know what? I need to talk this out uh, with you. Can I, f- I need to figure this out? Okay. And the other one says, you know what? I need to go think on this for a day. Can I sleep on it and come back to you? Absolutely. I mean, I've had to learn that as a father, as a spouse, as a father, whatnot to, yeah, to be, uh, to understand. So if we understand ourselves first, again, understand our, for ourselves and then understand the other person. Okay. Here's a I, yeah, go, wait, I, yep. I, I, look, I'm raising my hand, yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah. 
those of you who can't see me, like a child in school. <laughs> I want I want to be I want to get really honest mm -hmm. um, right now about something that I experienced last week because it ties to this point of understanding ourselves when we understand ourselves whether you consider yourself an introvert an extrovert an internal processor whatever way you want to label yourself when you understand who that person is then you can ask for what you want let me give you an example i am an emotional being a couple years back a lot happened. I lost my father. There was just a series of things. And I, I really went through a lot in one period of time. And after that was when I changed my career, which was amazing, but also can be stressful. While I was writing my book, oh, and then the world shut down. So like many of you who experienced such turmoil at this at this period of our lives, a lot happened at once. And in many ways, Kevin, I'm feeling it now like two, three years later. And there are some days I just got to cry. I am a feeler. I like to feel my feelings. I think crying is a beautiful gift. After I cry, I feel this amazing release. So last week, oh, it was like right before New Year's or New Year's Day. I was feeling really emotional, missing my father. And, and I, I felt I was sick as well. I was just under the weather. So that makes everything worse, right? Oh, oh, and. Oh. And I'm sitting there, my husband walks in and I'm crying. I'm just crying. And at that moment, my husband who wants to fix everything, he's like, okay, what's going on? What's wrong? And in that moment, I recognized that I understood I am a person who needs to cry. I need to get my feelings out because when I do, I feel so much better. And because I recognized that, I said to Mike, I said, babe, I'm going to have moments where I just need to cry, especially thinking about my dad, thinking about just the changes that have happened in my life. Sometimes that's my only way to feel like I'm, I'm getting it out and I'm expressing myself. So in the future, now and in the future, if you can understand that if you find me crying, don't get scared or nervous like, oh, no, what's the matter? Just you can just ask me what's the matter. And then if you don't mind giving me that space, yeah. I probably only need like 10 minutes, but by you giving me that space and not putting pressure on it to feel a different way, I'm going to move forward so much quicker and so much more, um, so much more calmer because I've been able hmm. to communicate in this way. And he sat there and he goes, absolutely. Yeah. I totally get it. Thanks for saying that. So it was such a powerful moment because I recognized my needs and, and how I have to communicate through my emotions. And then I was able to share that with him. So he understands and doesn't think like Renee's just crying for no reason. And then he can give me that space. And then when we connect, it's like, okay, cool. You need to cry a little bit. Take your time. So this is why, again, understanding ourselves and getting so clear on who who we are, what we like, why we fear the things we do, and going back to our childhoods and really analyzing those things for ourselves is one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves. It's such an interesting analogy, Renee, because you're talking about, in essence, an overflow. So I, you're saying, I have an overflow of emotions. I need to let those out. Whereas your husband, or I'll say myself, would say, you know what? 
I'm going to have to, I need to drum up some feelings because this just happened. I know they're there. It's not that I don't feel, it's not that I don't have emotions, but they are not overflowing. They are, they're not right there at the cusp. And so I, I need to do some work to even let those out and be able to deal with those. What a, a great difference, not a right or wrong, but to understand no. those, you know, Renee, we've had people on the show, Cal Newport, I remember somebody else um, who talk about just the dangers of digital devices and whatnot. I'm not going to go way deep into that because I feel like you brought me to a different perspective of saying, okay, they have some dangers. And it's not that devices are evil or bad or whatnot, but our propensity to stick on the topic of communication, that we are communicating well, here's what it thought made me think of. We, oh, we're over communicating these days. We communicate nonstop. Like you talked about, we can't stand in a line at the coffee shop and just yes. be there with the people we're around. We're, you know, we're texting, we're doing all, we're over communicating and we are under connecting and it's mm-hmm. changing us. It, it made me think of from a health and wellness standpoint, the idea of, especially here in America, that we are dramatically overfed and undernourished. We're eating more than ever. We we've never had more access to any and all foods and we are overfed and undernourished over here. We're over communicating and we are under connecting. And so what you're talking about again, is not just a great idea. It's not even just, as I talked about a great opportunity, it's saying we kind of got a sickness going on in the culture and this over communicating and under connecting is really handicapping us. So as this happens, we are less and less and less able to, to connect even when we have the opportunity. And so if we're doing all, I've seen this with, my kids have talked about it, that as there's more connection via these electronic devices, even if you're sitting next to the person and you're snapping and Instagramming and texting and whatever, and not doing it, when the time comes to where you actually are face-to-face, you don't know what the heck to do. I mean, we are, we are deprogram. Uh, what would be, a, we're, we're untraining ourselves yes. from this. Yes. So this is, this is a bigger issue then I think we understand. One million percent. The light bulb for me that went off um, when I was deciding what exact part of communication I wanted my book to be about came when I was at a restaurant with a dear friend of mine. We're catching up. We're chatting. We're like, oh, have you been? This family of five sits next to us. A mom and dad, teenage son, and two young children. And Kevin, for the entire two hours, none of them spoke because they all had their heads down in a digital device. The the parents and the teenage son on their smartphones and the two kids on, you know, a video game device. And I'm not kidding when I say my heart broke. Yeah. I looked over at this family and my first thought was they are missing out on beautiful moments of connection to be glued to a screen. And I see this time and time again when I'm sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office or um, online at the grocery store. I love small talk. I think it's it's a lost art. And back in the day, let's just use Mm -hmm. that phrase, Mm -hmm. back in the day, right? You'd sit in the, the waiting room of the doctor's office and you sit there and maybe you smile at the person next to you and you say, hi, how are you? 
And before you know it, you're in an, in a conversation and you realize, oh my gosh, you know my cousin Judy? Oh my, you, that's where you grew up? We must have all the same friends. Before you know it, maybe you made a new friend. Maybe that even became the person who became your husband or your wife. Beautiful opportunities for connection. And now I go in the waiting room of the doctor's office and I smile at someone and they look at me like I have 10 heads and I think, whoa. I was just saying hello. I wasn't asking you for $500. <laughs> it's it's okay. And it really is heartbreaking because those are the moments that we're missing out on because of our investment of this digital technology. What I call a master communicator, which the a master communicator, right? Because we're always in a state of becoming. A master communicator is a person who knows the right time and place to communicate through digital means, i.e. texting, yeah. emailing, and the right time and place to put the devices aside and have a direct conversation. When you understand that right time and place, that makes all the difference. Let me give you an example. In my own life, I've had situations where someone was texting me, and we're going back and forth. And now it's about five different text exchanges and it's paragraphs I'm getting sent. That's a sure sign to say, okay, we need to either get on a Zoom, right? Where mm -hmm. we can see each other's interactions and facial expressions, or we need to meet in person or have a phone call so we could verbally hear each other. If you don't do that, this is where the miscommunication begins. Because as I shared before, that's when we start to fall into what I call assumption animosity. Mm. We start assuming what we think. And that's so dangerous because we cannot read tone through words. And because we move so fast in this at, at this time of life, our brains are moving so quickly Oftentimes we send that email before really looking it over twice or we send that text and that's dangerous because then the other person can read it in the way um, that they're feeling. And before you know it, you haven't talked to a, a dear friend in two months because you got in a big texting fight. Right. So it's so important to know that time and place because that's how we can capitalize on this beautiful gift because technology is a gift. But if we don't consciously connect, that's where the problems arise. And you just nailed me uh, again, that, especially if you start getting into something important. I, I do. I want to think I want to write. And all of a sudden I can have the text messages and I, there's dear people in my life are going, Kevin, dude, it's really, it's a, it's a novel. It's just not what this medium is for. I, I'm lost. And I, I'll hear that. I, I, I'm lost now. We're going to have to, I get, can we do a call? Can we talk or whatever? Now, again, for me, it helps me to write it out, but I'm learning to do that and then either come back more succinctly or say, yeah, now we need to actually engage. And I mean, I feel like we've, you know, we've, we've hit about one, one hundredth of the book here, but you know, hitting on the concepts and that is I'll shamelessly promote the book. It's to work through this, but just to this overall concept of the digital aspect and you, cause you talk about expectations versus appreciation mm. and it got me to thinking that we on so many levels right now, we've all heard that we're in a microwave society, right? We want everything immediately. And it has grown us to have a, well, to hit on that, if I'm going to make something in the microwave, it might 
taste good, it's not going to be nutritious. It's just not going to happen. If I'm going to make something like lasagna, man, I love lasagna. And every once in a while, I'll just get lazy and buy something from the store, right? And I get it home and then I regret it because it tastes like cardboard. I like my lasagna. My lasagna takes like three or four hours to make, but it's so good. But we come over here and we get used to that. I'm going to call it a shallow appetite. So again, we're over here communicating, uh, communicating over communicating. We're sending stuff, but it's not deep. And so to your aspect of being a master communicator, I'm more focused, I guess on, okay, is this appropriate, a quick communication to get something across or is this need more? And if so, I've got to check and go, am I willing to invest the time that it takes into this or do I need to, you know, is it not going to happen, whatever, but just to be more cognizant of it. And I think you're showing us, we've just gotten lulled into this thinking all the communication happens real quick, real fast. We have the expectation. We're going to hear back right away. We're going to get what we need and it's just not happy and happy. It's not, it's not happening and we're not appreciating it over here. I don't find a lot, sometimes appreciation, but a lot of times I'm just irritated. I'm pissed off. I'm getting bitter about this. And we're seeing that in the culture and the media and the social media where most of it is just vitriol and people aren't being filled with good connection. Yes. Yes. We're choosing convenience at the cost of connection. That's a great way to put it. Choosing convenience at the cost of connection. Hmm. And you're right. Now, I want you all to to really hear what I'm saying here. I text just as much as the next person. I think it's just an unbelievable tool. Yet, I'm using it as the convenience it is. So I text Kevin today. I said, Kev, just want to make sure it's 2 p.m., right? Not 12 p.m. Cool. Perfect. Done. Now, when I had to discuss further details with him, no, we hopped on a Zoom. Well, I was, I was just going to say, we, we texted yes. back and forth. We got connected through uh, my parents, I think it was. And it was a text, a text, an email, a text. And then it was like, okay, let's talk. And so the other day we yes. talked for, I don't know what it was, 20, 30 minutes or whatever. And bah, that was it. And then, and then, yeah, the quick text for, I like, I just like that. I'm going to take that to my family, Renee. Um, yes. of, or I'm just going to start adopting that. Is this a communication for convenience, which I adore? Yeah. You know, yes, the quick, the quick text say, Hey, can you pick up some lasagna uh, or, or whatever <laughs> it may be? Or is it, Hey, we need to talk about the issue that we're having with too much lasagna. Um, this is a deeper conversation. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's great. That's the, it's right. It's that's the key. And that's really what I wanted to drive home with the book I have heard so much in our society, in our world. Oh, yeah. no, Nobody pays attention to each other. No one's listening to each other. Oh, everyone's... These kids are always on these darn phones. But yet what I am observing is no one's doing anything about it. Everyone's just saying like, yep, this is a problem. Oh, well, technology's not going anywhere. And my thing is like, no, I need to shine light on this. And I need to offer some simple tools and practices to put into place Every day, they're not complex, right? Because we are in a culture of convenience, of moving quickly, which is fine. But let's put these simple tools and practices into place so it's not at the cost of our connection. Because going back to the start of our interview, connection is at the forefront of our relationships. Connection is at the forefront of opportunity. Connection is at the forefront of us building and living the lives that we say we want. 
Okay, I got a business idea for for us. You ready? We're going to partner yes, in this. Ready. It's going to be an app that we put on our phone or our iMessage or, or whatever that does what it's the, it's the AI. What it does, it just tracks what you're saying and it goes along, goes along. It's convenient, convenience, convenient. That makes sense. And then boom, ooh, that's a connection point. Red alert, and it flags. Yes. <laughs> My wife would love that for me, Kevin. You just I crossed the line, buddy. Pick up the phone, do a I Zoom. <laughs> I I say that, but. That would be pretty, I need that. It's actually that's pretty incredible. So now everyone listening has to hold us accountable to make this happen. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, seriously though, that's one, you just gave me a new filter to look at my, for me, my text and my emails and go, am I, is this a relevant way to do it? This is convenient. And again, you know, I, I still am going to give some credit sometimes for me for, for an email where I can really think something out. And I've been doing this lately after a rash of friends and family saying, okay, dude, you just way too much of me now saying, okay, you know what? I do want to write this to you. So would you please just take a look at this, but then we can talk about it. Then yes. let's meet and talk about, yes. give me a premise because when I, cause I'm in my own, what did you say in, in my own way? Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to have a hard time really bringing the fruition of what I want to communicate out. If I just talk about it, cause it is diff- more difficult for me. So here it is, here's the points. And then we can talk about it. And again, just understanding, well, uh, considering, considering each other is, is what you bring us back to so often considering our propensities so that we can connect. Yes. And yeah. Kevin, I love that you, shared that that's what you do, right? Because again, you're operating in your zone of genius. You're operating from your communication home because you know that if if you just verbalize something, it is not going to be representative of what you're really thinking and feeling. So you yeah. must write it out first. I love that you do that because guess what I do from the opposite end of the spectrum? As a, as a direct uh, verbal interactor as I am, I record myself. This is a great practice, everybody. This is great for when you're practicing getting on camera. This is great for before an important conversation. I use my voice memo app and I just speak it out, right? So something will happen. I'll feel something in the moment and I record myself. Okay. So Kevin and I just had this amazing interview. We talked about creating this app. We're going to make millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. right? And I'll just talk, talk, talk. And then I press stop. And a little while later, I go back and I listen to it. Hmm. And then I pull those pieces out and I write them down. Because I, like you, writing is a big part of my communication as well. Like, I love sending and receiving handwritten letters. I think Hmm. it's the most personal communication we have. So then I'll take time to write out what I want to say in the conversation with that person. And then I'll go back to the voice app and I'll practice it. And by doing this, now I develop a little more confidence before I go into that conversation or before I go into that meeting. And I do it that way because I know Renee is a verbalizer. So it's about, at the end of the day, none of this is to judge yourself or say, oh, I should be this. Remember, no shooting on ourselves anymore. Yeah. This is about understanding ourselves on a deep level so then we can operate in our zone of genius and give ourselves the permission to be imperfect. Human beings by nature are imperfect. And too often we jump to judge ourselves, believing we have to do things perfect. Oh, if I talk to my husband and and I accidentally say this, he's going to think this. No, 
when we be- start becoming master communicators, what that means is we lean into our imperfection. And the reason my husband and I have such great communication is because I screw it up all the time. I'll say something and it came off in, in a different tone that I meant it. And then what do I do? Because I know myself and because sometimes I realize I verbalized it too quickly, I'll say, hey, Michael, I'm so sorry. I I heard that that came off in a different way. Let me rewind. And then I'll repeat it again. I'm imperfect, right? We're going to make mistakes. But when we learn to become master communicators, we are okay with the mistakes because we know how to communicate through them. It's just a great, uh, again, I love the trajectory that we started off with and talking about, you know, Robert Waldinger relationships is what makes us most happy. Nedra, uh, Tawab, that we have the most grief in there when we don't do them well. And then here, what is our greatest connection point for those relationships? It's how we communicate. And I just, you know, even what you're talking about, it, it really is causing me to think about, okay, is this a, again, a communication for convenience? If I'm really wanting to connect, which really brings into point of, do I value this relationship enough to mm-hmm. stop and consider and make the investment because it's time. And I'm a time selfish, sensitive slash sensitive person. Yeah. But if I value this time with my spouse, with my kid, with my friend, with my guest, do I take the time to make this investment and have the great communication and therefore the great connection and the great relationships that I want? Well, Hey, um, Send me an invoice for the therapy. Um, <laughs> it really is. It's powerful. I, I'm. I, you've given me some great hook points here too. So I want my family to work through the communication home and yeah. talk about that together. And then, yeah, look at just some ways of, again, structuring our communication instead of just letting it be the free for all that we all kind of want. Oh, can I just be myself? Yes, you can. If you want to not connect and be a jerk. Um, yes. Otherwise we've got to make it you can be yourself, but with some effort, with some structure, it's just, it's great. I'm so grateful that you uh, stepped off stage uh, at least long enough to do this uh, for us and bring us this book and the message, Renee, it's just a gift to me. And I'm so excited to bring it to the audience. Thank you. Thank you you so much, Kevin. This has been so much fun for me. And and thank you for allowing me to verbalize this because as we (laughs) shared, I realized that's, that's when I learned so much when I verbalize things that I'm like, oh yeah, I have to drive that point home by verbalizing it. I'm able to then communicate it in a better way. So thank you so much for, for allowing me to be on your beautiful platform. And thank you, Kevin, really thank you for being so vulnerable and being so honest because you're just inspiring everyone who's listening to you to do the same. Thank you, Renee. I trust you enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. That may be impossible, but that you really did. And you're definitely going to want to tune in to part two and part three coming up in the next episodes uh, with and about Renee. Again, you can find Renee Marino's book, Becoming a Master Communicator. Highly recommend it. You can find it anywhere. And when you do get it, go to free gift from Renee, dot com free gift from renee.com for two gifts that she has for you. 
Thank you as always for choosing to tune in to this self-helpful podcast. I hope you got great value. I hope you'll leave a rating and review and let us know, let Renee know what you thought. And I really hope that you take this message of communication into your lives, into your relationships, and you share, either you share the information or you just share what you learned as you do relationships so much better from here on out. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 